Okay. We're doing Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. It's a lot of territory to cover in 30 minutes. So the, the heading is unbelief and the, the brief is hardened hearts or holding firm. We're going to try and get that out of these, these two chapters if we can this morning. Next one. Next one. Thank you. Uh, last two weeks ago, Rob Freeman gave us an intro to the book of Hebrews and it was great. Uh, but he did mention uh, during that intro that there were five warnings in the book of Hebrews and we looked at one last week with uh, our brother Keith Jackson and he had this little thing. Could you put them all up? He had this little thing about the five warnings and they all had a letter D to help us remember. I think that's great. I love that sort of thing. So he actually spoke on drifting from the word and we, we looked at that in chapter 2. That was the first warning. The second warning is today and it's doubting the word. Maybe next week or the week after. This is not necessarily the, the program for the preaching but the third warning is dullness the fourth warning is despising the word and the fifth warning is defying the word. They're the five warnings given to, as our brother uh, Rob mentioned, Christian believers who were Jews. As we have to remember that. It's very important as we go through this. So the second warning that we're looking at this morning has to be introduced by the, the topic of Jesus greater than Moses. Otherwise, it just does not make sense. So we're going to look at that very quickly. Now, Moses perhaps was the most revered person in the Jewish history. Maybe Abraham? I don't know. Abraham was the father of the nation, but Moses... Moses was the lawgiver. Through Moses came the, the religious system that the Jews believed in, Judaism. Through Moses, the, the, the people were led out of bondage in the story of, the, of Exodus. And here, the, the, the Jewish believers here, the Christian believers here, we're under pressure, we're under persecution because of their faith. It's important to note, it didn't come from the Romans at this time. Predominantly the pressure, the persecution, the hassles that Christians faced at this time were from the Jewish people from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, just like it was with the Lord. If you look at Paul's life, and you look at Peter's life, who was it that dogged them as they tried to preach the gospel? Who was it that tried to, to, to imprison them when they tried to tell people how, how God was, was able to take away their sin and free them from the bondage of the law? Who was it? And you know, 
these Jewish Christians, because of that pressure, because of the persecution, they were in danger of going back into Judaism. Now, you know, I sympathise with them because, you know, Judaism was actually given by God. It was. It wasn't a system that men made up. Those Ten Commandments written by the finger of God. And they were told, it's in the past now, it's finished with, old, old covenant. Jesus has come. A new covenant, new promises, new way of interacting with God, a much better way as we're going to be looking at as we go through Hebrews. And you know, Moses was integral in, in all that. See, it was, it was God who called up Moses and gave them this man, this God, man of God, Remember what it said in Exodus 3? He said to Moses, I will be with you. I will send you. Not many people have had that said about them, you know, by God. And God gave Moses the power to do miracles. Real miracles. God gave Moses the power over the elements during the plagues parting of the Red Sea. You know, when Moses' hands had to be held up to keep, to keep the sun shining during the battles, he had power over the elements. And Moses was able to, to, to feed a nation of a million people, they reckon. I don't know if that's true, but there was a lot of people. Feed a million people and keep them from getting thirsty. Moses was used to defeat the world's most powerful military nation. You think about that, right? That's who the Egyptians were. Their chariots were famous. They were warriors. It would be like today the USA military might. Moses was used to defeat that. Moses met with God on Mount Sinai. That's also very unique, okay? And there God gave him the Ten Commandments, those two tablets of stone. Through which the the, the Jewish nation founded the, the way in which they were to live and they had relationship with God. Moses wrote the first five books of our Bible. It was called the Pentateuch. And actually the Lord Jesus Christ quoted extensively from the Pentateuch, 21 times, predominantly from Exodus and Deuteronomy. And right up to the end, at the very end, Moses led the people of God right up to this side of the Jordan. And he said, there's the promised land. Moses is very important to the Jewish people. 
the Bible mentions Abraham or Abram 312 times. It's a lot of mentions, isn't it? Moses is mentioned 852 times. The Lord Jesus mentioned 1,254. So the writer reminds these Jewish believers here, Christian believers, Jesus is greater than Moses. So you can, you, can, you can appreciate how they struggle with that concept, can't you? And so he tries to explain to them why this is so. Verse 1 he says, Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest. I hope you have your Bible open because we're going to be doing this a bit, uh, looking at these verses. You know, Moses was a prophet but he was never a high priest. The Lord Jesus was the high priest. Moses was called by God and he was sent by God to the nation of of Israel. But the Lord Jesus came from the very throne room of heaven, from heaven. He came from there. And you know, while while Moses was, was, was handing those tablets down to the people of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I have come to tell you the very words that I heard the Father speak. And we, and we heard a couple of weeks ago from our brother Rob how it said that in these last days God has spoken to us through Moses, no, not Moses, through his Son, Jesus Christ. So let's not focus on Moses. He says, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest. And it goes on to say in verse 3, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses. How about that? It's interesting when you, when you look at how the scriptures are written and the words that are used. It didn't say that, that Jesus has greater honour. It said that Jesus has been found to have greater That implies an investigation, doesn't it? A comparison. It implies that things were looked and assessed and valued and I don't know what the other word would be. And it was found. Not that Moses shouldn't have honour. Please don't get me wrong. Moses was a great man of God. We can learn a lot from looking at Moses' life. But it says that Jesus was found to have greater honour than Moses. Imagine what that, that thought did to those, these, these Christian believers here in, uh, in, uh, in the book of Hebrews. It said that, that while Moses was a faithful servant in the house of God, it says that Jesus Christ is the son of the house in the house. Moses brought the law. You know the Jews, they prided themselves that God gave them the law. To them, that made them the greatest nation around. God gave us the law and they prided themselves on that. 
Through Moses came the law. Through Christ came grace. The grace of God. Far better. You'll hear about that later. Far better than the law. And then in verses 5 and 6, in this end of this paragraph, it says that, that, that uh, Moses was faithful as a servant, testifying to what would, what would be said in the future. Moses was the, was the, spoke about things to come. Christ came and fulfilled them. That's got to be better. Yeah? That's got to be better. In Hebrews 10 and 1, I'm not going to say much about this verse, I just want to read it to you because it belongs to some other speaker. He's going to talk to you about this. But in Hebrews 10 and 1 it says, The law is only a shadow, only a shadow of good things to come, not the realities themselves. Moses spoke about shadows. Christ brought the reality home. Moses was great. But Jesus Christ was greater. That's the prelude. So, it says, as the Holy Spirit says, that's important, you know, please note that. The writer is saying, it's not me, whoever the writer may have been, whoever you think he might be, not Moses or any other prophet or a high priest, you know, So the Holy Spirit said. This is what the Spirit, this is the warning, the second warning. Thanks, Andrew. Unbelief. Unbelief. Do not harden your hearts is the warning. Unbelief means a withholding or lack of belief, especially in religion or certain religious doctrines. I was actually surprised when I looked this word up to find that the origins of it is really, this word came to try and explain this this meaning. It's a religious word in, in other words. It means just that. It doesn't mean that you don't believe in God. All right, doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that you don't believe God did something. Doesn't mean that either. So they had to come up with this word unbelief and that's what it means. Oh, I was surprised. The next one, thanks Andrew, doubt. That's that D word, you know, that uh, Keith Jackson presented to us. This is what I thought unbelief meant. And, And it's good to have this word, I'll tell you why in a minute. Doubt means to be uncertain about to consider questionable or unlikely, to hesitate to believe. A couple of weeks ago, or three weeks ago, the Sunday after Easter, I was asked to, to do communion and I spoke about a man called Thomas. What, what's his full name? Ah, thank you very much. I'm glad you were listening. Doubting Thomas, that was his name. No, not really, but that's what we know him as, isn't it? Thomas. Thomas who? Doubting Thomas. Have a listen. You heard the story, I won't go over it again. It's in John chapter 20, verse 27. This is what the Lord said to Thomas, right? Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting 
and believe. That's what the Lord said. Stop doubting and believe. Now that word doubting in that in that passage is the same word, same Greek word as it is in Hebrews for unbelief. So they're the same. But in particular, unbelief is withholding or lacking belief, especially in religion or certain religious doctrines or things that are written in the Bible, if you want to put it simply. That's what it means. So I need to read you a portion of scripture in numbers. Otherwise, the next bit isn't going to make any sense. If you've got a Bible, please turn to the book of Numbers. It's near the front of your Bible, third book. This is a narrative, and I'll try and read it as quick as I can. It's a narrative of the time that it talks about in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, that we're going to look at in a minute. You probably know it, but if you don't, please listen. I just want like to refresh your memory. The nation of Israel were led out of Exodus, uh, led out of Egypt, so they in the Exodus by Moses and they have been wandering around for about two weeks and they have reached the River Jordan this side and over there, the Promised Land. And the Lord said to Moses in chapter, uh, chapter 13 verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send its leaders. Verse 21. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. Verse 25. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community of Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But... But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and are very large. We even saw descendants of Anak Anak there. The Amalekites live there, uh, live in in, uh, Negev. The Hittites and Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill countries and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, they're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw were of great size. And it goes on talking about that and that they were like grasshoppers. Chapter 14. That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? 
or our wives and children sorry our wives and children will be taken as plunder wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt and they said to each other we should choose a leader to go to and go back to Egypt then Moses and Aaron fell face down in, in front of the whole assembly whole Israelite assembly gathered there Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb who were among those who tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelites, uh, The land we passed through explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flying with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid the people of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the miracles and signs I have performed among them, I will strike them down with a, with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you in a, great nation, uh, in a nation greater and stronger than they. That is the scene that we're going to look at in a minute. So what's the message there, do you think? What's the message that, that the, the, uh, the writer of Hebrews is trying to give to the, the Christians there? And what's the message for you and me this morning? I think when I was looking through this, it's this. History has a habit of repeating itself. You've heard that. It's a saying. It's true though, isn't it? We have... We are in the habit of making the same mistakes over and over and over again. doesn't matter which area of life you want to look at, which generation, how advanced we might be. Over and over again we make the same mistakes. Human nature does not change. It doesn't change. That's why the Bible is relevant to you and me today. Chris read to us the narrative there about the warnings of unbelief and that's what the, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit was saying. Today, if you hear his voice, that's the voice of God, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebelling during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That's what we read about. You know, they were uncertain whether God knew what he was doing with their lives. They were happy to leave Egypt and we're happy to leave the life of sin, aren't we? But when they reached the River Jordan and they were presented with part two of what God had for them, they were uncertain about the plans then. They questioned whether God had the resources to carry out the plan. They liked the idea of a promised land, just like we like the idea of God blessing us. We want God's blessings, don't we? Mm, absolutely. They questioned whether God had the resources to accomplish his plan and they hesitated, didn't they? They hesitated. On, you could just see them on the bank thinking, oh, look at that, oh, the big giant. 
You can, I can just see them. I love the narrative in Exodus. I can just see them. They, were hesit- they, they hesitated to believe the facts of what happened in the past. Three weeks ago, they were in Egypt. Three weeks. That's how long it was. Not 40 years. That happened later. Three weeks ago. They saw the river part, the, the Dead Sea rather, part. And, and, and all those chariots get stuck in the mud and, 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 the, and the armies of, of Egypt destroyed. Three weeks. Those three aspects of doubting that we, we, we uh, see in this passage here, that's what was troubling the, the Hebrew Christians uh, that the writer was concerned, that's why he was warned, the same three things. And those same three things are present right here at Monte Community Church. Same things. And they're present in you and me. We're no different. We're a long way from Egypt. Two, two, you know, how many thousand years? Or about maybe four thousand years from from that time when they stood at the at the land at the um, river bank of Jordan. But we're in the same position as them. Have you ever wondered, been uncertain regarding God's plan for you? Hmm? Have you ever have you ever questioned God, saying that job? That career path that I'm going on. Is this, is this what you want me to do, Lord? How will it affect my life? Why didn't I get that promotion? Why was I not considered? Why was I overlooked? What about your, your family, or your partner? Have you ever questioned God? Is there really someone out there that you've chosen for me, Father? Have you ever done that? I know, I've heard of people saying that wondering where their partner is that God has chosen for them. And so they rush and they think they're going to help God along and choose the partner for their life themselves. Most of the time it does not work well. There's a lot of Christian couples thinking about divorce. That's very sad. It it, it saddens my heart to think that. They're wondering, is this the person you had for me, God? How, how, how is this? How is it? How can it be? Look at it. And ministry and service. Have you ever wondered whether God has got you in the right ministry? I'd rather be doing that over there. I don't like what you would like me to do. Have you ever questioned God? If, when, why, how long, Lord? I have. I've been there. Have you ever hesitated? Have you ever been reluctant to act at the prompting of the Spirit, whether you know the Spirit is saying, Raph, you need to do, you need to go, you need to whatever, and I'm at the river, at the bank going, oh, yeah, look... You've been there? I have. Have 
been indecisive as to how we should live out our faith, not taking God at his word from his word. Have you ever said this or heard it? I know the Bible says, but we read that, didn't we, in Exodus? You know, land, flow, milk, and just like I said, but, but, you know, there's tall people there and fortified cities. Here's some more figures for you. 3,573 promises in the Bible. That's a lot of promises, isn't it? They're just promises. In the New Testament where you and I live, 750 promises God gives us. And that's, that's, and that's uh, 250 separate benefits. You know, some promises are repeated or you know, emphasised, mentioned more than once, but there are 250 specific benefits God has in mind for us, for his people, Christians. I have heard this so many times. Yes, I see what God is saying, but in this particular situation, the Israelites said that. The Christians here in Hebrews are at that point of saying that. And maybe you and I are also at that point. Verse 8, they're told not to harden your hearts. What is hardening of a heart? Well, it means to be disobedient, disobeying the voice of God and act in accordance to one's own desires. That's what it means, to be disobedient to to the voice of God and just doing what you want to do. And the voice, what is the voice? The voice is the word of God, isn't it? I have a confession when I was a young believer, I didn't like a lot of the things I read in the Bible. I struggled with them, tried to find an out clause. But it's the voice of God. You disobey long enough and your heart gets hard. A heart of stone. The Israelites, the nation of of Israel, were charged with that by God. Their hearts were of stone. And it's important that, that we look at these little phrases. In verse 10, here's, this is really interesting. Verse 10 says, This is why I was angry with that generation. The anger of God. Let, let's, let's remember this. God is not just the God of love. It says here, this is God saying this, the Holy Spirit has recorded, I was angry with them. And it's mentioned, God's anger is mentioned three times in this passage. Very clear. We shouldn't miss that. And God was so angry that he, 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 he it says there that, that, that he declared an oath. Now, you know, normally an oath you do, it's a very, very serious promise. You definitely going to do this and you can't get out of it and you swear to that with an oath by a higher authority like, like God. I swear by God I'm going to do this. Not that you should do that as a Christian but that's what, that's what normally happens. But here God 
swears an oath. He he declares, sorry, declares an oath that he will do something which I'll mention in a minute. And why is he angry? Why did he declare such a harsh punishment for them? Why? It says there in verse 10, sorry, no, uh, verse, yeah, verse 10, their hearts are always going astray. And that's important to note that. They were always going, constantly going astray, remaining rebellious. You know, God's, God's not a harsh God that he's going to hit you over the stick when you make a mistake. We do make a mistake. We do err as Christians. We're not perfect. You know, Moses wasn't perfect. Abraham wasn't perfect. But here it's, it's very clear and it says, he was angry with them because they were always going astray. Not willing to repent. Not willing to acknowledge guilt and shame. In our home group we were looking on Wednesday night about Adam and Eve, you know. If only, if only they had said, I'm sorry God, we, we, we mucked up here. Please forgive us. Oh, the world would look different today. It really would. But they didn't. We have their nature. And going astray means that our inner being is not right with God. You remember in Isaiah 53, we are all like sheep, gone astray, gone our own way. God does not like that. We're not willing to walk in 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 God's ways. And this can be our experience too. In verse 12, in verse 12, the writer here says, picks up again, he says, See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart and turns away from the living God. You know where it says brothers there? You could easily put in there Monty Community Church. You could easily put in there your name. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. I've seen this happen to a lot of Christians, the hardening of hearts. It's so sad. It's devastating usually. And you know, right at this moment, right now, there are two people very close to me. This is happening to this process. They're Christians. And you know, sometimes you read the scripture, you think, oh, this is all theory, it's all words. It's not. Because I can see in the lives of those two people the hardening and the evidence of it. What are they doing? They're going back to the way they used to live. They know. They know how they should live. They believe in God. You ask them and they say, oh, I believe in God. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a Christian, yes, I'm a Christian. Unbelief. That's what it is. A withholding or lack of belief, especially in religious and certain religious. They don't want to believe anymore. They doubt that God really is, is, has their best interest. They doubt that God will see them through this situation. And so they, 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 they go ahead of God. They choose different ways. They choose different situations because they don't think God 
has, has, has uh, their best interests. Can I have the next slide please, Andrew? Thank you very much. Verse 14. It says, If we hold firmly to the first things that we, we had confidence in and believed in. You see, in here, they're teetering, aren't they? In, in Exodus that we read, they had lost confidence. The Jewish nation had lost confidence in God and in God's man. Let's get a leader, another leader. And what's he going to do? Take us to the... No, he's going to take us back to Egypt, back into bondage. We have a leader, the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. We don't need another leader. We don't need a new leader. We just need to follow the one God appointed to be our leader, the head of the church. You know, those people in, in Exodus, they forgot, didn't they? They forgot what happened three weeks previously. They forgot that this man Moses led them out of Egypt, defeated Pharaoh and his armies and brought them right up to the banks of the river Jordan and there was more to come. And these Hebrew Christians were the same. They were in danger of losing confidence in God. They were. They were thinking, look at that, look at Judaism, you know. They're so used to that. It's comfortable. No hassles. They'd forgot, they were starting to to forget and that's why this Remembrance Feast is vital. They were starting to forget about Calvary and what happened there and what God did there. They forgot, they were starting to forget about the freedom from sin that they're enjoying the bondage from sin, the freedom of that. And there was more to come. We're not talking about heaven. This is not about heaven. This is about the blessings God intends us to have here and now as the people of God. And they were at the edge. They were teetering. They were hesitating. And so in verse 14, again... You know, when things are emphasised in Scripture and repeated in Scripture, it's worth taking. Again, we have the same verse. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. See how important this little passage is? And what does hardening your heart mean again? It means to to disobey the voice or the word of God and act in accordance to one's own desires. Can you and I do that today? Absolutely. Absolutely. You could do it tomorrow. You could do it this afternoon after leaving here. Unbelief. Doubt. Doubting God. And then the last part here in this chapter, verses 16 and 18, the writer emphasises again by asking three questions. He presses home the point. He says, Who was it that, that who heard and rebelled? Who was it that that, that, that um, God was angry at, you know, and, and who was it that were, that were disciplined? Who was it? Wasn't the Egyptians? He's not talking about the Egyptians. Not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about God's people. It's hard to think, isn't it? It's hard to believe that you and I can be guilty of unbelief. It's not just possible, it's highly probable. If we're not careful, this is why there's a warning. 
Do not harden your hearts. Don't allow the sin of unbelief, doubting God that he has a plan for you, that he has a path for you, that he has a partner, he has a career, he has a ministry, whatever. When you start doubting things like that, your heart gets hardened and you're not following God anymore. You're doing your own thing. God's people in this in this passage here uh, sorry in this passage he's reminding he's reminding that God's people missed out on the blessing he had for them in, in, in Canaan. That generation, they all perished except for two, Caleb and Joshua. You know why they didn't perish? They were no different from anyone else except they believed. They did not doubt God. They saw the same things as the other 38 spies. They didn't doubt God. Well, if God's going to do it, we're going to do it. If God is with us, and they said, if, if God is pleased with us, he'll give us that land. We need to go back to God's will. We need to hear his voice. Maybe the reason why we're not feeling the blessings is because we're not pleasing God. Maybe we're doubting him. And in verse 19, I'm going to finish with this. Verse 19, it says, it says there, they were not able to enter. Why? Because of their unbelief. They're not able to enter. You know, when you talk to people about heaven, they say, oh, you know, I'd like to think that I could get there. Get to, when I get to heaven, I can speak to God and reason with him. But it tells us very clearly, doesn't it, in the word of God, that the reason that people cannot enter into heaven is because of sin. It's not that God says you can't come in. It's they're not able to enter because of sin. There's a big difference. And that's why they, they missed out on the blessings. Not because God is mean or tight-fisted. Because they doubted him. Unbelief. Last slide, please, Andrew. So as we, as we think about these, these two chapters, and I haven't even looked at chapter 4, please go home and read it. It just emphasises the same sort of thing. Here's what I'd like to leave you with. In Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, if you think, if you can remember nothing else today, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't doubt it. Doesn't say that, does it? But that's what it means. Do not harden your heart. Accept what God says. Embrace it. I told you before I had a confession. I've got another confession. I've gotten older and a little bit wiser and I don't doubt God's word anymore. I trust him. Sometimes I trust him you know, in fear and trembling because I think, oh, this is, doesn't look good, Lord. But he has proven to me that he is worthy of my trust. What about you? That's what the question was, wasn't it, to the Hebrew Christians. Is God worthy of your trust, of your heart, of your life. He is. So how about it? When you hear his voice today, don't doubt it.